Oh, hello and welcome to The Witch's Grim. Stories and education with a witchy twist. If it's weird, we want to talk about it. So, pull up a broom, holster that wand, and get comfy, because we're about to get started. Warning, this podcast contains discussions of an adult nature and sometimes a graphic nature. It's not suitable for children, strong language, and adult content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the part two of Leonardo Cianciulli. And before we get into that, we just wanted to thank Elena Dodson for her contribution to the podcast. We really do appreciate it. Without further ado, let's jump right in. So she goes in and she's speaking to the Romani people and she gets another palm reading. This new fortune teller tells her that in one hand she has prison and one hand she has the asylum. So this just like sent Leonardo into another spiral. She's now shit. I'm, I, this is the curse coming back. Something, the next shoe is about to drop, but she's still like enjoying her life. So she decides that she's going to just start hanging out with the Romani people. They made sense to her. And she actually kind of becomes like a, an honorary Romani person. Like they teach her their ways. They, they teach her how to do fortune telling. They teach her how to do palm reading. They teach her how to do tarot. They share some of their practices with her and she's loving it. She's loving every bit of it. What was really cool about this town, which sounds just absolutely lovely, was around the time that it was for everybody to harvest um, their wheat, the entire town would take a break from work and everybody, didn't matter young and old, went into the fields to harvest this wheat. And they would harvest it and then they would all sleep. They would like party and have a good time when the sun went down and then they would all sleep. They would just lay down in the fields and sleep. So a majority of the town is out in the fields on these on these evenings. And everybody loves it. Everybody looks forward to it. This is not a chore. This is like, this brings the town together. This builds camaraderie. This is, a, this is something that everybody just, they enjoy and they love and they do. Well, one night they're laying there and the world starts to rock. And one of the worst earthquakes in Italian history hits this town and absolutely levels it. So this beautiful home that they had, all of their belongings and a lot, some of the townspeople completely dead, completely obliterated. She looks out and she sees that this town is gone and her house is gone. And instead of going, I am so thankful that we were out in this field, because that's what I was thinking. I was like, damn, you lucky. You are so lucky. You could, you could have been dead. You and your family. That would have been the end of Leonardo and her entire family. Yep. They survived. But now they had nothing. So then they became refugees. So they made their way to this next town, which is Correggio, which is the town that she's famous for being a serial killer in. And so she comes to Correggio. And because everybody is basically refugees, they are welcomed with open arms. Oh my gosh, you guys have been through an ordeal. Thank you so much for surviving. We love you. We are glad to have you here. You are you are blessed for, for getting past this. Here's some things, you know, and she was welcomed for the first time ever. The women in the town wanted to talk to her. They wanted to spend time with her. They wanted to hear her story. You know, her husband was able to find work really quickly. They set him up with work and obviously he's a hard worker. They get a little place and attached to the little place is this little empty shop, but that's actually included in their rent. It can just sit there or not. Her kids actually enjoy it as well. They start to make a life for themselves here. They really, really, really enjoy 
enjoy it. So things are going really, really well. And Leonardo thinks things are going well, obviously. The curse must be bullshit. No big deal. Mm -hmm. So she starts to feel pretty good as well. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to make a life for myself here. For the first time ever, I feel like I belong and I'm going to make a life for myself. So she's like, I need to, uh, I need to have something to do. So she sees this little shop that's on, it's attached to their, the property that they rent. She's like, you know what? I'm going to make soaps. So she's already got this idea of chemistry because she learned it from cleaning. And she is, she's going to open up this soap shop. And before this even happened, she was already like advising some of the people from town. So the ladies would come in and they'd have tea with her. And she became like this confidant. Everybody would come to her with their problems and they would, you know, she would give them advice. And she started doing a little bit of fortune telling as well. And a lot of her predictions were coming true. So she started to make a huge name for herself. So she started offering it to the men in town. So if people needed to know, is my daughter going to find a good husband? Is my God... Is my daughter-in-law going to bear children? It, what type of crop should I plant? What type of business deal should I do? Should I do business deals with this person or this person? She started to get all of these things right. For the most part, she was nailing these predictions. So everybody in town, they did not want to do anything unless they spoke to Leonardo, which for a person who's never been paid attention to and been, you know, ostracized and looked down on her entire life. She's like, this is amazing. Yes. <laughs> so she opens up this soap shop. Well, she starts experimenting with soap. She does open the shop, but she first starts experimenting with the soap and she starts hand handing it out to her friends and her friends love the soap. So she's like, okay, this is legit. I'm going to start doing this. And she starts making soaps that are so high end that people from all over Italy order them. She's got elites ordering her soap. The high society people, the government people, the the, the the famous people are ordering Leonardo's soaps. Yeah. They she she's high demand. They're coming and to her. They're coming to her. Then all of a sudden the Romani people start to hear that these there's these amazing soaps. So then they come to her soap shop to do trading for soap. And she tells them her story. You know, she obviously has some, you know, way of speaking to them because she can relate because she knows some of their ways. So they're a little bit more open with her. And through the Romani circuit, essentially, they start talking about this lady that sells amazing soaps. It's got this crazy curse that her mom put on her. She becomes famous with the Romani people. So the Romani people start coming in more often as well. And every time they come in, they bring her occult books. So I think somebody said that she had the most comprehensive awesome. occult collection in all of Italy by the time yes. she died. And I <laughs> would love yes. to just walk in. I can't even read Italian, but I just want to touch them. Just let me touch them. Can I absorb the magic if I just touch them? Can I just, can I just sniff? I just want a single sniff. <laughs> just let me have a single sniff. Yes. <laughs> can I get magic from a sniff? I don't know, but I'll try it. Read it, but I'll learn. <laughs> <laughs> let me take some pictures. I'll have somebody translate this shit. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, she's so, so she started reading these books and she's like honing her craft and she's like getting better and better and better. And she's now offering tarot readings. And now everybody wants to come in for soaps and she's offering tea cakes and tea when people come in for all of her customers. She's making it a real experience. It's a busy, bustling place. It's where everybody in town always wants to be. And obviously because she's in the outskirts nobody really looks the same way at witchcraft that people in maybe the big cities will yeah so everybody just accepted it they were just like oh this is just the way it is she's really good at what she does 
And I can also get some nice soaps. And it was pretty good. normal in that time period. Yeah. So everything's good. Everything seems to be going really, really well until this big old bomb is dropped. Her son, Giuseppe, decides I'm a grown ass man and World War II is ramping up and Mussolini is recruiting people to join his military. And if you're a, you're a, uh, you know, they're promoting nationalism and they're convincing people that if you're a true Italian, if you truly love your country, you'll join. So people were lining up, men were lining up. And Giuseppe said, to himself, this is an opportunity for me to leave. This is an opportunity for me to get away from my helicopter mother. This is an opportunity for me to see the world. I'm going to join. But he doesn't tell his mom. Poor lady. She never gets told anything. No. But he doesn't, he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't tell his mom. Because here's a third party. <laughs> she hears it from around town. So I imagine this is how it goes. She's walking around town and people are walking up to her like, oh my gosh, you must be so proud that your boy Giuseppe has joined the military and he's such a hero and blah, blah, blah. And she has to pretend like, oh yes, we're just so proud of him. In and her head, she's like, what the fuck is going on? I'm going to kill him myself. <laughs> He's not going because I'm going to kill him. <laughs> so Giuseppe makes his way home and mom knows for the first time ever, her interaction with him is very calm, which must have been very freaky for him. Mm -hmm. And she sits him down very calmly as she feeds him tea cakes and tea. She says, is there any way that you can get out of this? And he's like, no, nah, ma, I signed a contract. I cannot get out. She's got about a year to convince him to either not go and make him desert in some way, or she's got to come up with a plan of how she's going to protect her favorite kid, her miracle baby. So she starts going through all of her books and she is pouring over them every single night, trying to figure out the best way that she can make this work. And the thing that she comes up with is she has to send Giuseppe away with protection inside and protection outside. So here comes the plan. Well, first off, let me back up a little bit. Part of what happened with this is alchemy. So she was learning about alchemy and alchemy definitely has its roots in the occult. But one of the things that I found really interesting when I was doing some research on alchemy is alchemy is basically taking a base ingredient or a base element and converting it into something else. If you've ever watched the Da Vinci Code, there's, there's movies from the 1980s that have like Bruce Willis in it, I think, or something where they're talking about alchemy and converting lead into gold. That's, that's what most of the alchemists wanted to do. But alchemy was so much more than that. Alchemy is considered the basis for the world. It's the creation. And it actually comes from the uh, Egyptians. They believe that, I think it's Thoth is how you say it. I could be Toth. I could it's be Thoth. saying that incorrectly. That he was the creator of alchemy and that he basically had these three principles and then he had his female counterpart and she had her own set of principles. He ended up being like the Greeks and the Egyptians had lots of interactions with each other and much of what came from the Egyptians got translated into the Greek stuff. Hermes, now he's got Hermes try something. I don't remember how to say it, but Hermes became and was the, was basically who he was in the Greek pantheon. And that's where the hermetic order comes from. So the hermetic order is based on these principles that Hermes had that came from the creator who came up with alchemy and the basis for the creation of the universe, which was Thoth. The hermetic order was all about occult thinking and stuff like that. But there was some stuff 
that was translated that Newton translated and other great philosophers and scientists translated. And they believe that alchemy is the basis for chemistry. So at the time, back when Newton was around, he thought he was the father of physics, but he's also considered the father of, or in some cases wanted to be the father of chemistry. So he actually created what we consider modern chemistry. So modern chemistry actually came from the occult practice of alchemy. So while scientists want to be like magic and science is separated, no, they're fucking not. You guys started from occultism, bitch. <laughs> know your history. Know your facts. Yeah. That girl, that girl from TikTok. Know your facts. <laughs> Um, so anyway, I just think that's really, really fascinating. And that's yeah. about as far as I got into studying alchemy, but that was basically what Leonardo was trying to do. She was trying to use alchemy to create protection inside and out for her son so that her son was impervious. Is that the right word? To the curse. Mm -hmm. So he couldn't be affected by the curse. She ends up coming up with a plan. And the plan is, is that this idea of balance, which is also the idea in alchemy, that you have to create balance if she's going to protect a life in order to keep a life. She has to take a life because you can't make something out of nothing. Right. So you have to take a life in order to protect this one life. And it has to be a sacrifice. So she comes up with her first victim. She comes up with the plan and she comes up with her victim. Her first victim is Faustina Seti. So this poor lady was an old spinster. Poor, poor lady. She would come into the shop almost every single day and she would confide in Leonardo and tell Leonardo about how horrible her life is because she can't seem to find a husband and she's going to die alone and nobody's there to care for her and she's just a sad, sad person. So one day she's sitting there and Leonardo realizes, okay, this lady doesn't have any children. She doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have any family to speak of. She's got nobody who's going to miss her. So she would be the perfect sacrifice. So Leonardo comes up with her plan and she decides that she's going to tell Faustina that she has found her a husband. So she lays the groundwork. Faustina comes in one day and she goes, you know, I found you a man, but mm, I don't know if you're going to be interested. He's in another city. So she starts telling her about this man and what a wonderful life. And that she showed a picture of Faustina and the dude immediately fell in love. And Faustina is so excited because all she's ever wanted is to find herself a husband. And she's in her, I think she's in her like, what was she? She was in her 55. Oh, was she in her 50s? Or 60s, something like that. She was an old lady. And see, she still had her heart set. I mean, if only she had tender. Uh, she had her heart or eHarmony. They didn't have that then. So it was, she could only rely on Leonardo and Leonardo said, I found you a man and he wants to be with you, but you're going to have to leave. You're going to have to go. So she tells her what you need to do is nobody's going to really understand why you're just up and leaving and marrying a man that you've never met that's in a different city. So what you need to do is you need to write everybody a letter and you just need to leave. And then you give me the letters and I'll post them for you and I'll send them out. And then everybody will have the explanation, but they won't be able to say anything negative about you. They won't be able to stop you. You can just go. So Faustina's like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is perfect. So she goes home, she packs, she comes back and Leonardo's laid all the plans. She has her, she's decided that the best place for her to do this, this whole sacrifice plan is in her own home where she can control what goes in and out and what gets cleaned up and, you know, she knows how to clean and everything like that. So she ends up creating this wine and she knows how to mix things because she's been reading a lot. She knows exactly what to mix into the wine 
to make Faustina fall asleep. So she gives Faustina wine and Faustina obviously thinks that it tastes funny. It kind of tastes herbally. She doesn't think anything of it. She starts to feel drowsy and then she falls asleep. And immediately after she falls asleep, Leonardo goes out to the uh, other room, grabs an ax, comes in, and with one fell swoop, whack. But because she's never wielded a wha- an axe before, she doesn't exactly know how to do this. It takes her a couple of tries to really get it, to really, to really get it where she's sure the woman's dead. And the whole time she feels really bad about it. She's like, I, I, th- I have to do this. I'm really, she actually says, I think she says in her memoir that she said, I'm sorry before she swung the the axe. Mm -hmm. So she completely dismembers her and she decides that the best way that she can, the best thing that she can do is she can turn her into something that would be able to be used. So she drains all the blood from Faustina and she puts it on to boil and she allows it to boil down until it turns into jelly. And then she takes that jelly and she mixes it with some dough and she makes these tea cakes. She tastes this tea cake and this tea cake is very dry, kind of got that metallic-y blood taste, but it's not really terrible. She gives it to her husband. He thinks it tastes pretty good. So she's like, I'll just give this to the people in the shop and then I'll be rid of the blood. And then the rest of the body parts, she actually puts into caustic soda. So if you don't know what caustic soda is, I've actually made soap before. So the process she's using is called hot process. And there's also a cold process. The hot process is obviously much faster than the cold process. Cold process takes several weeks. The hot process takes a week or two. And you can actually get the saponification is what it's called um, very quickly through the hot process. You can get it to a point where it reaches the right pH where you can actually start putting it into the molds and then it can cure over a couple of weeks. And it's, it's very quick where it's, which with the cold process, it takes, you know, a few more weeks than that. Mm -hmm. And it has to actually come to heat all by itself through the chemicals. So lye, you can't get it on your skin. You have like, it's scary to make soap. If you ever decide to make soap, it's a whole chemistry process. You have to, if you don't mix the things right, then your soap will be doughy. If you mix it incorrectly, then it'll be hard and cloudy and, and not, feel very good. Um, you got to get it just right. It's definitely very much a chemistry game. You better wear protection <laughs> and you better wear protection. I made soap and we had an open concept in, in uh, England where we lived and I would panic. I would scream at my husband, come get the dogs. Cause I was terrified that I was going to splash. I would wear right. gloves that went all the way up my arms. I would wear goggles. I wore a, a bandana around my face. <laughs> I, it was ridiculous. I mean, I had an open enough space that I wasn't really worried about the, the fumes. But yeah. it was, it's scary, uh, especially hot process because you have to put it into a crock pot or a boiling pan and you have to keep it at a particular temperature and it can boil over. And if you touch it too soon, you can burn yourself. So it will literally eat away your skin within few seconds. So she just dumped poor Faustina's body into this big old giant cauldron that she had, which they called the pot. But if you see the picture, it's a freaking cauldron. She dumped this poor woman into the cauldron. She dumped the lye in and she dumped all the other ingredients in and she started cooking her. But unfortunately, mm, Faustina was not a good candidate. She made this really gross, sludgy, 
black goo. I don't know if it was black, but I think it was dark goo that wasn't really going to make soap. She couldn't use it. It was, it was unusable. So she was very frustrated. So when her son came home, well, she tried to dump it out herself and the pot was too big. So she ends up having her son do it for her. So her son has to dump out this gross, crappy liquid. She won't tell him what it is. She just, oh, don't worry about it. It's just a bad batch of soap. So she goes back to the drawing board. She's like, I must've fucked something up. I must not have done something right because this didn't turn out the way it's supposed to. But she did continue to feed everybody those damn tea cakes. Yeah, she did. <laughs> and because nobody was, because she was such a nice old lady, nobody was going to tell her that they tasted like metal. <laughs> these taste funny and these are kind of dry. She even fed them to her son. So she's like, well, at least we'll have the protection inside. She's like back to the drawing board. So she's like, well, maybe she wasn't the right sacrifice. Maybe I need a different type of sacrifice. So she has this other lady come in, Francesca. And Francesca. Francesca comes by. Francesca had fallen on hard times. I think she had lost a lot of her family. Because of this, she had fallen on hard times and she was having a really hard time finding a job. I think because of her health issues, when she went back to the, the job market, because this was such a small town, there really wasn't a job for her. She had no family again. Oh, that's what it was. She was a teacher. Yeah. She was a different type of sacrifice. She was actually pretty good friends with Leonardo. Okay. Maybe this is a better sacrifice. So again, she's talking to this woman and this, about this woman's problems and the, it goes ding. Okay. Here's another candidate. I can try this again. She ends up telling this woman that she found her a job at this very elite school that was like nobody knew about, nobody knew existed because it was so elite that the famous royal families and high government families and elite families, they didn't even want anybody to know about it. So they didn't tell anybody. So Leonardo had secured her friend Francesca a job, but she couldn't tell anybody where she was going because it was so elite that that would be part of her contract is that she can't tell anybody that she's going to this famous school until after she's already there, but she still can't give the sp specific name of it because that would be a violation of her contract. And Francesca is so desperate. She's like, okay, I mean, this sounds like an amazing opportunity to work in an elite school and so on and so forth. So just like before she tells Francesca, Nobody's going to really understand about you taking, and you can't really tell anybody. So just go ahead and write some letters to all of your family and friends, give them to me and I'll post them for you. And that way nobody can try to talk you out of it. Nobody can say anything about it. You don't have, they, you, they don't have to worry about them getting it out of you. Cause you know, people are going to want to keep asking. You got to leave as soon as possible and don't tell anybody. Francesca comes by, you know, when she, at, when she's on her way out of town and she gives the letters to Leonardo and she's like, I'm ready to go. Well, just like before, Leonardo says, let's have some wine. Since you're leaving, let's have one glass of wine. So she gives Francesca the glass of wine and Francesca's like, cool. But she falls asleep too, just like before. Only this time, Leonardo knows what she's doing. So she chops her up into little bitty pieces. This time she drains her differently so that the blood's easy to collect. She ends up boiling the blood down. She ends up turning them into tea cakes. And this time they're still dry, but there's not as much of a metally taste. But again, she throws the body parts, everything into the caustic soda. And again, it doesn't turn out quite right. But what she notices is that this time, Francesca was a little bit fatter, a little bit fattier than than Faustina was. Faustina was a very thin woman, but Francesca was a little bit thicker. But what she noticed was that the fat that Francesca had was kind of yellowish. While the soap was a little bit better, she thought to herself, 
it must be the fat. The fat must be good. So I need to find better fat. She is really frustrated still because again, she's feeding these tea cakes to her son. Every time he comes home, she's got these new tea cakes. She's making them eat them. She's feeding them to the family. She's feeding them to the people that are coming to the shop. They are a little bit better, but they're still not great. Uh, They're still a little bit dry, but people are still not saying anything. And so she goes back to the drawing board and she's running out of time. She's frustrated. Her son's going to be leaving soon. She doesn't know what she's going to do with herself. She goes back to the drawing board and she's like, I just don't understand. They must not have been good enough sacrifices. It wasn't a good balance. It really needs to be somebody who is an actual sacrifice, like a better sacrifice. It must need to be somebody that I care about. So in comes her friend, Virginia. I may be saying Virginia's last name, Ka- So Virginia was an opera singer. She was well-loved in the town. She, she moved in, I think with her brother and her Mm -hmm. sister-in-law, they got along really, really well. And because Virginia was absolutely beautiful and she was glamorous and she got to meet all of these famous people and she had all these amazing stories. She was loved throughout the town. And at first, Leonardo thought, this bitch, like I am top dog in this town and here comes this bitch in and she's trying to take the top spot. But Virginia was a very wonderful woman. She would come in and she would visit with Leonardo. And after a little while, they started to become friends and then they started to become closer and then they would confide in each other and they would have wine and they would laugh together and they would cry together and they would share stories and they became really good friends. And Leonardo thought, this woman is my equal. I am glad to have her here. Finally, I have an equal here in this town and I'm happy to have her. Virginia is growing restless. She wants to return to the stage. She wants more for her life. She doesn't want to stay in the small town. So she comes to Leonardo one day and she actually asks for a reading because she wants to know where she should go on her next adventure. And Leonardo's sitting there while she's giving this woman this reading and she's pissed. She's stewing. How dare this woman that I cared about that is my only equal in the town, how dare she leave me? How dare she leave me? And she got really upset. Her friend was abandoning her. She felt abandoned. She's going to up and leave her. (laughs) She was going to up and leave her. She decides, I'm just, I'm so angry at her. I should never talk to her again. And then all of a sudden, ding, she realizes this is the ultimate sacrifice. She is my equal. She is glamorous. She is beautiful. She is the perfect sacrifice. This is somebody that I would hate to lose. This must be the real sacrifice. This is what's going to really make the spell work. Just like before, she comes up with a story. And the story that she comes up with is that there is this really wealthy dude, very reclusive, doesn't like to have anything to do with being in front of people, but he owns, what is it, an opera house? I believe so, yeah. And he's, well, he's a benefactor. So he's he's constantly um, giving to charities and stuff like that. And usually when you give to charities, you got to, they you know, they, they call you in, they want to show you how much they appreciate you and honor you. And they do all this stuff. And he hates that. That's according to Leonardo. He just hates that stuff. So he's looking to hire somebody who would be able, who would have the poise and the elegance and the know-how to be able to mingle with people and kind of be there in his, instead of him. 
And manage his affairs. And manage his affairs. Absolutely. And this sounds to Virginia like the perfect opportunity. And get this, apparently this dude, he mingles with people in the opera and on stage. And he thinks that Virginia is going to potentially be able to help him find the new stars and kind of, you know, bring up the new stars and potentially return to life uh, on the stage herself. He yeah. believes in her. He thinks she's amazing. He's a big fan. Virginia is eating this up. She's loving every second of hearing this, but she doesn't want to give too much away. So she's she knows that that Virginia is cunning. Virginia is smart. She's not going to want to just jump on this opportunity. So she's got to make it really secretive. So it takes her a little bit to get Virginia on board to go to see this guy. So she she says, but I can't tell you too much. So she she makes it so that every time Virginia comes in and Virginia is desperate to know more, she just gives a little a little bite sized piece and Virginia is eating it up like nobody's business. She is loving every time she gets a little bit more until finally she says this guy wants you to come out. He wants you to pack all your things and he wants you to come out. But obviously you can't tell anybody again, like before, you can't tell anybody because if you tell anybody, then you're giving away his identity. And Virginia was used to this. She had been around wealthy people that didn't like to have their business out in the streets. And so this was not something that sounded unusual to her. So just like before, she tells her, you need to write letters to everybody. Before you go, you should come by and say goodbye to me. But Virginia came by at a different time than ever, than the other two before her. So when Leonardo tried to offer her wine, Virginia was like, no, like, why would I be drinking wine? And not only that, but I'm going to be meeting my potential employer. I'm not going to meet him drunk. You know, I'm not going to meet him intoxicated. Leonardo's like, no, you have, you have a long trip. It'll wear off before then. This is just for your, for your, your nerves. Virginia's like, I don't get it. Like, no, it's too early in the morning. I'm not drinking this. So Leonardo's freaking out in her head. She's like, I don't know how I'm going to get this bitch to drink this stuff so that it's she can pass wine, out. Bitch. Drink the wine, Drink the wine bitch. Um, <laughs> so she's just coming up with all kinds of excuses. If you've ever been in an Italian household, it's really difficult to say no. While you're listening to this, you know, if you listen to the book or you listen to a YouTube video and you're like, how did she not get that something was up? That's how she didn't get something was up. An Italian woman offering you something over and over and over again and being like, no, you really need this. No, you really need this. No, you really need this. That's an Italian not woman. Right. It's not unusual. I remember being a little kid and we, I grew up part of my life a few years in Sicily. And I remember even being a little kid and they would feed me constantly. And I'd be like, I'm not hungry. And they're like, eat, eat, manja, manja. So <laughs> I imagine it was the same thing that this wasn't too crazy to Virginia. She probably was like, this is weird, but she probably wasn't like, this is too weird because this is part of their culture. So eventually she convinces Virginia that she needs to drink this wine. So Virginia drinks the wine and just like before falls asleep. And this time Leonardo knows exactly what she's doing. She drains her a certain way so that all the blood is not wasted. She collects the letters from her. She actually stole from all these people, like say. thousands <laughs> and thousands and yeah. thousands of lira, which, you know, equates to thousands and thousands, 30,000 from the first one, 30,000 from the second one and 50,000, 50. I think from Virginia, Virginia was loaded. She also stole their jewelry. Like Virginia had a lot of like really nice things. So she had no qualms about going and selling all their shit. So she sold all their stuff too, to make a little bit of money. And then she would just like shove their suitcases and stuff into the closets in her house. So just like before she boils down the blood and she makes tea cakes, but this time 
this time the tea cakes turn out right. They're not dry. They're actually good. There's no metally taste. What was that? They turn out amazing. They do. They turn out amazing. And they kind of got a sweetness to them. She's like, I nailed this one. This is the perfect sacrifice. And then she dumps uh, Virginia's body into the cauldron with the caustic soda. And as she's looking at it, she notices that Virginia's fat is white and luscious and almost creamy. That Virginia had lived this beautiful elite life and really taken care of herself. And it showed in her fat and it made the most beautiful soap. But the smell was really odd. It was really off. So she went into Virginia's suitcase and she was looking through all of these really expensive perfumes that Virginia had. And she picked one that she liked and she dumped it into the cauldron. And immediately this, this, this beautiful scent starts wafting around the entire place. And it smells like Virginia. And while Leonardo is sad that these people died, she kind of feels like, like Virginia's memorialized, I would imagine in some way, like she, yeah. it smells like her friend. Like it kind of brings her joy that it smells like her friend. And so she makes soap with it and her son comes home. Her son is asked to post all of these letters in this, this other town. And keep in mind that she had been making weird requests of her son his whole life because she was this weird helicopter mom with this extreme anxiety and all of these mental health issues. So when she was telling him to go to a different town to post this stuff, nobody thought he didn't think anything of it. So he comes home and this is where the relationship takes a weird turn. He comes home. She makes him sit down and eat the tea cakes, which he doesn't want to eat. And he doesn't, he's talking to his mom about how he doesn't want to eat it, but she's like, no, no, you need to eat it. And just like I said, Italian moms, you can't refuse them. So he eats the tea cakes. And then she says, okay, I've drawn you a bath. And he's like, oh, thanks mom. And she's like, uh, no, I have to bathe you. And he's like, uh, no, you don't. Yeah, and she's like, grown ass man. <laughs> I'm a grown ass man. You are not bathing me. I'm not a child anymore. You are not coming in the bathroom. And Leonardo was like, no, no, you don't understand. I have to bathe you. And I have to bathe every single inch of you. Can you imagine listeners? <laughs> Just think about this for a second. Your mom right now, your mother, if your mother's alive, I'm sorry if she's not your mother comes in and says, I need to bathe every single inch of you. Awkward. Oh, good, thanks. <laughs> Don't touch me there. That's my no-no spot. Yes. <laughs> Leonardo convinces him that she has to wash him and she washes every single inch, which is extremely awkward for Giuseppe. And he is not happy about it. And he cannot look his mom in the eyes when he's done. And that was the turning point. Oh, yeah, it ruins their relationship. Exactly. Exactly. He's like, that's it. I am fucking done. You are a crazy bitch and I am done with you. I no. want nothing to do with you after this. Nothing. She's happy though. Her job is complete. Yep. She the did what she was supposed fun. to do in just enough time. Yeah, absolutely. She ends up being very happy. I've beat the curse. She thinks she's won. But Virginia obviously is not alive anymore. So after she leaves, when the letters stop, her sister-in-law comes around and starts asking questions. And so obviously Leonardo comes up with a story. The sister-in-law is not buying it. And she starts asking around and turns out the last place that all of these women had been seen going in, but never coming out was Leonardo's shop. She goes to the police, launches an investigation, and they come and talk to Leonardo. And they're like questioning her about these women coming to her shop. So she plays the nice little Italian old lady. She says, of course, these people come into my shop 
everybody comes into my shop. Every single person in this town has been in my shop. And the ladies come here regularly. They have tea cakes. They have tea. We chit chat. We have good time. Like, of course they were here. These cops are like, oh, this is a nice old lady. She she must not have done anything. But the only clues that they have, because they, they can't search, they didn't search the place because they really didn't have a good reason. And the only like way that they can, the only piece of evidence that they have are these story are these letters from Virginia. So they go find out where these were postmarked and they start asking questions from the post office and come to find out it was a man that posted them. And when they find out who the man was, it was Giuseppe. So they immediately think, okay, this makes sense. Giuseppe took advantage of these women. He killed them in his own home. He's taken their money. So they go after Giuseppe. They pick him up and they start questioning him. And he's like, what are you talking about? What is going on? So they're trying to get him to confess. And while he's there, Leonardo finds out that he's at the police station. Leonardo shows up and she says, it was me. And so the cops look at her and they're like, what? Stop. Yeah, they don't believe her. Well, th- you know, they found all the suitcases and everything too, stuffed in all the closets. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, they, they found <laughs> so all the like, suitcases. No, there's no way little old lady like you could do this. <laughs> and she's like, I'll show you. So she asks them to, because they were like, even if even if you say you you did it, like, I think you're just a nice old lady that's protecting her son. Like if my mom, so they think that she's just being a nice mom. And she's like, no. I'll show you that I am big enough to be able to wield an ax and kill these people. And they're like, what lady? And so they take her down to the morgue and she dismembers a body in 15 minutes. She cuts up and dismembers a body in 15 minutes. Her son is watching this the whole time. I don't think I could even do that. 15 minutes. I don't even think a giant man could do that. That's some damn skill. Yes. So he goes... He's watching, Giuseppe's watching this as his mom is confessing to everything and talking about how she turned their blood into tea cakes and how she turned everything else into soap. And it clicks for him. He now knows that all these tea cakes that he's been freaking eating are are because they were filled with people. And the soap that she awkwardly washed him with was a person. So he's throwing up. He's horrified. So word gets around that Leonardo has been taken in and obviously the whole town turns on her. We all knew that she was a bitch. We all knew that she was awful. We all knew this. We all knew that everybody knew just like any other thing does as everybody does. We knew I had a bad vibe. She had a bad vibe. I just didn't like her. Something was off about her. Yeah. (laughs) I went to her for all of my, for all the opinions that I needed, but there was something wrong. But I knew there was a bad vibe. I just knew it. So obviously nobody can be associated with her. Giuseppe goes off and joins the army. Her kids leave town and change their names and scatter to the wind. So nobody actually knows what happens to her kids. Her husband loses his job. This hardworking dude that's stuck by her this entire fucking time. Good, good dude. Loses his job. And the whole town turns on him. And the only buddy he's got is his wife. And his wife is in, you know, she's in custody. She's getting ready to be tried for murder. Um, and, and they also find all of her witch books. And she's talking about how she did all of this for witchy reasons. She's telling him about the curse. She's telling him about the um, alchemy. She's telling him about the um, Romani stuff. She's telling him about the tarot. She's telling him about all of her books. And they're like, this lady is super wackadoo. Her poor husband is being put through the ringer. And he turns to drinking. Poor man ends up dying before her trial. Poor guy. Yeah. Leonardo loves the attention. She is using this 
this trial as an opportunity as her confessional, essentially. She's telling the entire story. And if somebody, like, I guess somebody had the nerve to say that you couldn't boil and completely dissolve a body in caustic soda. And again, she said, I'll prove it to you. Give me a body, I'll prove it to you. So she did not like it when she was telling her story. If they didn't get the the, the stuff right, she would correct them. Yes. <laughs> she so, wanted it right. so obviously she was charged, obviously sent to prison. And she was charged with 33 years. Was it 30 or 30 years? Uh, 30 years. 30 years in prison and three years in the asylum. Yep. So if you remember, she got that last reading, one of those last readings, and they told her in one hand, you have prison and in the other hand, you have the asylum. So it came true. Mm-hmm. While she was in prison, people loved her. She thrived in prison. Again, you got to remember what type of life she came from. So she knew how to cope and thrive in prison. And at one point she did such a good job in prison that they actually made her in charge of the kitchen. So again, she was able to cook and she was, she was living a pretty decent, happy life in prison. Then she made her way into the asylum and she was in the asylum for two years. Her seizures came back and they came back really bad. And she started to get really sick when they actually did looking into medical treatment. They, it turned out that she was having a brain bleed and it's actually found that later on, what the brain bleed, because they couldn't figure out what the brain bleed was caused by. She had no tumor. There was no tumor. They just couldn't figure out what it was caused by. She ended up dying a year before she was supposed to get out of the asylum. The brain bleed was actually caused by caustic soda vapors, had eaten holes into her brain. So while she was making her soap and while she was murdering these people, they were murdering her back. Yep, they sure were. (laughs) Now, one one source that I was listening to, she did a little more research than I would say the other sources did and actually looked into what would have happened to Giuseppe. I, I guess some other people have also looked into what happened to Giuseppe. There's no record of Giuseppe getting out of the army. So they believe that Giuseppe probably died in the army and he might have died before his mother. They're not sure what happened with the other kids, but she died in what was her 80s? Because I think she was 50s when she went into the- She was 76 years years old when she died. Yep. So yeah, she died a year before she was supposed to get out by the soap making products. She might've outlived all of her kids, but there's no way to really know. Right. Yeah. Feel like this is a good lesson for those of us who practice magic, because here's the thing. Uh, A lot of us, as I was saying earlier, we get into magic and the occult and stuff like that because we long for something that we don't have in our regular lives. We long for that sense of control. We long for that transformation that's going to make us something better than we are because we've been told our whole lives that we're not good enough, either by friends or family or the church or coworkers or everybody. And so we look for these opportunities to to feel like we're more. What happens is we get so caught up in looking for answers in the occult that we forget to enjoy and look at what we already have. Because I I can see that your desire to overcome a curse, a family curse, especially, I, I mean, I... I have had my life ruled by a family curse in the last couple of years. I I feel like I freed myself, but I was kind of semi-obsessed with figuring out a way to free myself from this familial curse. I don't feel like this story is anything unusual to what I've heard on social media or what I've heard through friends. What do you think, Lacey? Yeah, no, I agree. And everybody always talks about generational curses. And, you know, if you never had that in the back of your mind and then someone starts talking about, oh, well... (laughs) 
you might be having these problems because of a generational curse or a curse that was put on you, then yeah, it's definitely going to eat at you and you're going to obsess about it until you ultimately find a way to break it. So, or you don't. Or you don't. Yeah. You just continue to, you just continue to yeah. blame everything that happens bad in your life when you could be the reason for all of the bad things in your life. And if you would just get your shit together and stop blaming something outside of yourself, then right. you, you might be able to turn your life around. I or see that. realize that some things were natural disasters and not curse caused <laughs> like the earthquake, like the earthquake. Yeah, ex yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like, I mean, I hear, I hear it a lot on social media where, you know, when a person shares their story about a generational curse, that's like, oh, that must be the reason that my life hasn't turned around. Well, no, maybe the reason that your life hasn't turned around is because you make shitty decisions. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you shouldn't have robbed that bank. Get off your ass and apply yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe it was a rob that bank. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was a bad idea to rob that bank. You yeah. Because things are good until then. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was a bad idea to go back to that ex-boyfriend that abuses you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and I'm just kind of trying to make light of it. We've all been there. We've all been in situations that we don't know how to leave. We don't know how to get away from. We, we just keep repeating cycles. And that's what Leonardo's whole life was. She just kept repeating cycles. She wasn't willing to face what the real issue was. She just wanted to blame her mom and her mom's curse on something that, you know, who knows what could have happened had she paid more attention to her kids. And actually, because there are studies that show that if children are not nurtured, it, there were there was a study in an orphanage where children were only given the bare minimum. They were only given food and they were only, they were changed and that was it. And many of the orphans died because we need more as humans than just the bare minimum. So if she as a mother was just giving the bare minimum because she had had so many miscarriages and then she had so many children die and she would be afraid of losing another child, it's possible that the reason her children died was because of the fact that they weren't receiving what they needed to receive. They weren't getting the nurturing and care that would have kept them alive. So she would have been her own curse. She would have been her own problem. Yep. Yeah. She created her own undoings. Yep. So anyway, we really loved her. Hopefully we told the story in a way that would make you love her as well. Not that we're trying to make you love a serial killer, but she is Italy's first serial killer. She's definitely a cult. I can see my story in her. I think many of us can see parts of our story in her. And she was a product of her environment. And she tried to use magic to get out of it because she thought magic had gotten her in it and yep. didn't work out very well. Right. <laughs> so we need to be the creators of our own lives. We need to take control of our own destinies. And even if you have a familiar familial curse, what really happens is it's familial healing. You need to do some pretty deep level healing in order to get past those. Because typically what it is, is, is you've learned how to poorly interact with your environment based on how you were taught from family lines passed down generations. And we have to learn how to heal that and better interact with our environment and better have better relationships and have better social interactions in order to break that family line, I right. guess. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you again to Casey for contributing. If you would like to contribute to our podcast, you can either do it, I guess, through the anchor app, 
Or you can also do it through our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash which is grim. Uh, we really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for listening. When we post this on Instagram, we would love to hear your thoughts on Leonardo's story and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, witches and witchlings, that does it for another episode of The Witches Grim. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with family and friends or head on over to whichever platform you're listening on and leave us a five-star review. We post new content every Friday. If you'd like to stay up to date or engage with us, you can head on over to our Instagram or our Facebook or leave an audio comment on our Anchor app where we might feature you in a future episode. And if you'd like to further support this channel, head on over to Patreon at Patreon slash The Witches Grim. Until next time, witches and witchlings, keep making magic.